Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And the show started. Hi, hello. Coming to you live from Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. Yeah, thanks, Pat. We're not together. Uh, we're apart, separated. I, I love the fact that I get to eat up all my data costs instead of just using the phone. You could just use Wi-Fi. I could do that, but I'm not doing it right now in okay. case there's a in case there's an outage or Aren't something. Aren't you in your house that you could definitely use Wi-Fi? I could, but I'm not on it. Okay, well that's that's a little bit on you more than it is on me. Uh, so there's a there's a thing my dad likes to do um, when he's on trips. He likes to say that me and my wife are separated. Uh, he likes to say that, and then he says, "Oh, she's back home, and I'm in you know I'm in Nashville or I'm in Texas, whatever he likes to do." So it's a little misleading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure my mom appreciates that a lot. So, Pat, how's it going, man? You know what? I'll tell you. I was going to go to the Taste of Randolph this weekend. Have you heard anything about that? No. It's on Randolph Street in the West Loop. In Chicago. Yeah. There's like a ton of restaurants on Randolph. Okay. So I was figuring the Taste of Randolph, eat a bunch of cool food. Yeah. It's like $40 just to get in. When I hear Taste of Randolph, that makes it like it's a guy's name. I don't like – I think you need to rephrase that. Because it sounds like you're like the taste of, of a guy's name. I, I don't love the way that's phrased. Well, I'm referring to Randolph Street. I understand that, but like you know, me not knowing that, I just don't love the way that it sounds. Like if it was a couple blocks down, like the Taste of Washington. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> taste of Washington. You know, it's just like the weird taste ways. Of lake. The yeah. Taste of Lake would make sense. But but when I think to of me, lake, to me, the Taste of Lake is just like baby oil from when you guys jumped in the lake. When we jumped in the lake for polar plunge and we're covered in baby oil, I think when I think yep. of lake, it's like sewagey. I wouldn't like the taste of lake either. So, yeah. Pat, I was in uh, Dallas Fort Worth this past weekend. Oh, IndyCar, right? Yeah. So basically, here's here's the story. So Friday, I flew down for a business meeting, and so this is a finance type question, tax credit, finance, film stuff, and then Saturday, I got press passes for the. Texas Motor Speedway race, and it was an IndyCar race. So th- it's not the first time I've been to Texas Motor Speedway, but this is the most, like, in like I would say the longest I've probably spent at the track. And this is the first time I've seen an IndyCar race. And I, I don't, you know, I don't really follow IndyCar really ever, um, you know, not, you know, like it's, on TV yeah, or anything It's like not that. as popular as, you know, NASCAR or anything And I, like I don't watch that. NASCAR either, but I love no. cars. You know, like you would think that I – would be more into racing and stuff like that, but I just I like fixing them up more than I like watching them. But aren't the Indy cars faster? They are faster. Yeah, they are faster, and they're way louder. Like if you don't have uh, ear protection on, you know, then it's, it's bad rough. news. So so because we had press passes, you get everything like all the food and stuff is free, and then you get to go around like wherever. So you're like right be- there's like a small concrete barrier between you and the and the you know the pits that they're doing these changes on, 
And these pits are pretty great. Like these pits are like, you know, they do these changes. It's insane just to watch them in real life, just how fast they're able to just change these tires and add the gas and all the other stuff they have to do. So it was cool to, to be around. And I got, uh, I got four really good interviews and we'll have those coming up on upcoming shows. And the biggest name of note is Mario Andretti. So I got to talk to him. Yes. I got to talk to him for a few minutes. Uh, super nice guy and excited about that. Another one is, uh, Roger Penske who owns Penske motors. So it's, and then there's some other big names in there too. So good times there, Pat. I thought, uh, we do the interview. So I did an interview with Noel G and he is an actor that I think it would be impossible to see him and not recognize him from a movie. Yeah, so uh, here we go. Recording live from somewhere. Hey, Noel, thank you very much for calling in, man. Yeah, it's all love, man. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. So uh, we'll get started here, if that's all right with you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, I think it's very apparent from your you know 20 upcoming projects you got going on right now. But uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's we'll get up into uh, Ditch Party soon. That's your upcoming. Or I guess it just released fairly recently on Amazon Prime. Your producer and actor on that. We'll get to that soon. But I just want to hear a little bit about uh, yourself growing up. Kind of what led you to get into acting, like your childhood, that kind of stuff. What happened was uh, I was at an acting class with a girlfriend at the time. And uh, it was the girlfriend's dream to be an actress, a model, and the whole Hollywood deal. I never thought about it, cared about it, nothing. I was just, uh, you know, living my life. Um, and um, one day I went with her to this acting class, and it was literally a right place, right time story. I uh, was just sitting there, and I went for her because she asked me to go with her, so I went. And long story short, while I was sitting there, I started looking around and I started, you know, thinking like this was a little bit funny and whack because teacher was, you know, doing exercises like, you know, close your eyes and picture you in the jungle, like reach for the stars and grab a candy bar. So I started making fun of the classroom and started being a class clown. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a producer there who was scouting out talent. So he came up to me after the class and he said, uh, you want to be in a Taco Bell commercial because I think you're kind of funny. And at first, I thought it was all fake, whatever, whatever. I didn't yeah. really think it was real. But I gave him my number on the slim chance that it might be real. And it really was real. Two weeks later, I ended up on the set of a Taco Bell commercial. And I did this Taco Bell commercial. And um, what ended up happening after that was, at the time, I was ignorant to residual payment. I didn't know anything about that. I had yeah. no clue. Never knew anything about that. I thought it was like regular work, where you have to work to get paid, work to get paid, work to get paid. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was I did this commercial, and they started paying me all kinds of checks. Yep. <laughs> yep. And all these checks started coming in, and I thought it was a computer mess-up. <laughs> I didn't know, like, that's really how actors get paid. And yeah. so after I started getting so many checks, I called up the guy who hooked me up with the commercial, and I said, how come I keep on getting paid for this commercial? And then he explained it to me. He said, that's how actors get paid. Every time they show the commercial, you mm-hmm. get a check. And I said, what? Well, I want to be an actor. <laughs> yes. And um, the next thing I know, he um, hooked me up with a manager friend of his, and I ended up getting with this manager, and this manager started sending me out on um, you know, auditions for TV shows and movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything that I was sent out for was, you know, um, Latino Gangbanger 1, yep. you know, Trigger, 
Solo 2, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, man, I thought I was here to act. I just get <laughs> sent out for, you know, how I kind of grew up in real life and stuff. And then um, I started getting known as the bad guy Latino in Hollywood. Yeah. And before you know it, I just started booking parts after parts and so on and so on and ended up uh, getting parts. And it, you know, slowly became a career and, you know, got into me. I, I can honestly say... And I'll close with this, and then, you know, here's the next question or whatever. But I can honestly say, when I first got into acting, um, straight up, straight out, it was all about the money, because I never got paid so much money so quick. I never I, I never found a job where you just get paid so ridiculously yeah. like that. But as I continued acting and doing it more and more and more, it became a true passion of mine. Now I think I have the best job in the world. I love my job, because I'm yeah. always going to different places, meeting different people. It's never the same thing. And, um, you know, now it's a true passion of mine. The money is just a bonus. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's how I got started. That's awesome. I, I don't think most people would have done what you what you did and start questioning the amount of money that was coming in. I think they would yeah, have just let that I happen. I don't think so either. You know, <laughs> you uh, make so much so quickly. And then the weird thing for me was I only worked on the commercial one day in my life. Yeah. And so to continue getting checks for up to six months to a year, um, that's kind of a beautiful thing. That's kind of like, wow, whoa, like, what? like that's just, and being ignorant to that, I, I, you know, like I said, just getting those checks, I was like, damn, like, this is crazy. Like, I've never, like, like it was just unbelievable to me at the yeah. time. It was, you know, shocking. Yeah. So were you happy to keep getting those roles, uh, you know, like the Mexican gangster roles, or, or were you hoping for other stuff? Um, at the time, I was happy getting those roles because, you know, it was me, and I kind of lived a little bit of a street life and, mm -hmm. you know, was acting a knucklehead in the streets at one mm -hmm. time, and I was in and out of jail, and I was, you know, robbing and stealing, and I was doing bad things and hanging out with the wrong crowd. So to get paid to be who I was in real life, it's like I never really had to change anything about me. It was just a beautiful life. The acting yeah. was just a bonus on top of everything else. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, I've seen a lot of stuff with you and Danny Trejo. What is what is the relationship between you guys? So Danny Trejo is a friend of mine. Um, we did 15 movies together. Okay. Uh, I uh, got mad love for Danny Trejo, man. I just seen him recently, actually, about a month ago. We were at the Phoenix Comic Con uh, convention together. But um, we actually have the same agent. Okay. And... Uh, Long story short, man, I've been knowing I've been knowing Danny for a minute, man. Good guy, humble cat. Uh, you know, blessed to do a lot of what he's doing right now, especially at his age. Still working and working and working. He's like a nonstop roller coaster. But long story short, we're friends. We work together. We have the same agent, and and we're cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So right now on IMDb, you have 163 acting credits, which is you know a, a crazy amount, an awesome amount. You know, congrats to that. So what? What like really sticks out to you after doing all these movies? Like what what movie to you has been like the most memorable, or what has other than maybe the most recent one, or you know, Ditch Party, where you're a producer on it as well? But other than that, let's was there something that really stuck out to you? Like there's so many movies. What ones just like that one was great, or you know what you know what one do you really remember? Well, um, you know, a couple, but I have to give it up to Training Day and Fast and the Furious because that's really what took off the roller coaster and, uh, you know, put me on the map. The truth of it is, is you can do a lot of movies 
um, and have a lot of credits. And that's kind of an easy thing to accomplish mm-hmm. to a certain extent if you know the business, have enough relationships, uh, or, you know, the gift of gab, or you're clever or strategic enough and have a lot yeah. of wisdom to maneuver and get a lot of credits under your belt. But it's really about the movie you do that puts you on the map, that takes you to the next level, mm-hmm. you know, on a higher level of, you know, where you want to be in your career. And so, Training Day and Fast and Furious, you know, did that for me. Training Day and Fast and Furious were uh, the two movies where I got the most recognition off of and, you know, what started the roller coaster, if you will. And then before you know it, there's a thousand producers out there, a thousand casting directors out there, a thousand projects out there, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When, you know, you're more known, you're easier called, you know what I mean? And so that's that's what ended up happening to me. So I would have to say Training Day and Fast and Furious is what... Yeah really kicked off the roller coaster and, um, you know, started this crazier journey than what it was before those two movies. Because it was still a crazy journey even before, but after that, those two movies came out, that's what made it even crazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So w- after being in so many of these movies and, you're, you know, ones like Training Day and Fast and Furious that are super successful, and then I'm sure you've been in plenty that didn't weren't as successful, like what do you see with your kind of inside perspective of actually being in these movies, what do you see between the difference of a movie that becomes really successful and one that doesn't? Um, you know, just the amount of people who know your movie um, and talk about it, you know, and it's, um, it, it really depends because you can have movies that are hella successful, but it doesn't mean that they're hella liked either. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you yeah. know, just depending on, you know, the advertisement for the film, you know what I mean? So... Like, example, like, when Fast and the Furious was coming out, I mean, they had commercial after commercial, mm-hmm. billboard after billboard, bus stop after bus stop. It was, like, crazy advertisement. I just did this other movie recently that was in theater um, not too long ago, about two weeks ago, called Lowriders, and it wasn't as successful for the simple fact that they didn't advertise it at all. They didn't um, put out no billboards, no bus stops. Yeah. Uh, the commercials were very light. Um so, you know, what What I've found to be is the more advertised your movie, the more successful it is. But even after that, the thing that keeps it going is it has to be a good movie yeah. because your best advertisement is word of mouth. And if you have a million people who saw it, but they're all talking crap on it, saying it sucked, it sucked, it sucked, well, that million might not spread into five million as opposed to if you had them all say, that's a good movie, you've got to go watch that one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just learn things as you've been in the business so long. You just want to do quality over quantity. But sometimes, you know, you also have to do what you have to do until you can get to a spot uh, where you can only do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think you're doing a lot of that now. So will you tell us, uh, I see you've been doing a lot of work with, like, children and that kind of thing. What, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, that is because I was in and out of jail myself. Um, I grew up, you know, um, you know, very rough lifestyle, and uh, you know, you mature over the years. You know, when I was younger, um, I was, you know, I was gang banging, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Like I said, I stole cars, I robbed houses, I've, you know, done it all, and I did all kinds of dirt and you know stuff that I'm not proud of today. But it's just stuff that I did at the time because. You think about quick money and you think about, you know, you just have to eat and survive and you think that's the way to do it at one time in your life. And um, acting, you know, kind of saved my life in a way where 
I made so much money where I no longer had to do criminal activity. Yeah. And so because of that, I, um, you know, started talking to kids and I want them to know that, you know, they can make their future easier on themselves by the choices that they make today. So they can either have a hard future or an easy future by the choices that they make today. And I just want kids to know, like, you know, if I came from the hood, the ghetto, whatever you want to call it, and I made it out, that they can make it out too. So I go around, I try to be a role model to the best I can and let them know that their dream doesn't have to be a dream, that they can live their dream, but that choice is up to them and only they can make that choice for themselves. And so, you know, I do a little bit of that also, man, just trying to uh, help and give back as much as I can and for kids to learn off of my mistakes, you know? Yeah, and I think, like, from my perspective, if I was one of those kids, I mean, it would mean so much more coming from somebody that, not only had been there, but also like I see on TV and I see in the movies and, you know, you kind of, it's like almost a larger than life figure is telling you this. I think it would really stick home with me. I think that's a, I think it's a good thing you're doing. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, is that I know I have their ear even before I speak, but then you have to be a good speaker on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you can, you know, have their ear, but then if you're a terrible speaker, you can lose them as quick as you had them. And so what I do is I start off with comedy, catch their attention, kind of, you know, break the door like that, and then um, share my story, take questions at the end, and uh, then stick around for pictures and autographs, and it's been a winner every time. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So why don't we talk about Ditch Party here? So this is the first movie you've produced, is that correct? The first movie ever that I produced, and um, this also is a movie with a solid message and a solid point to where, you know, Ditch Party is... uh, is a movie where, you know, one of the reasons why I'm passionate about it is because it's to, uh, you know, stop bullying in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I always tell people, you don't know who you can humiliate publicly who might, who might want revenge privately. Yeah. And um, so I, I tell people that, uh, you know, we can stop bullying kids in high school, stop picking on each other, and just, you know, learn to respect one another. And it's not about... You know, I, I get it. Some kids don't like these kids or those kids because they're weird. But if you could just let everybody live their own life without interrupting your life to a certain extent or degree, I think that, you know, all of us can get along because we all have a special gift inside of us. And you got to use that gift however it is that you're supposed to use it or going to want to use it. But the point is that if people would stop bullying each other, uh, we can avoid high school shootouts or kids commit suicide or things like that. Yeah. And, and something I really took away from the movie is that, uh, you know, you realize, like, you've got these different groups, like the jock, the stoner, the school body president, all that kind of stuff. And everybody just, they all have the same problems. Like, everybody's got these issues, and you can kind of unite over that sort of a thing. You know, it's a very, it's a very strong message throughout it. But, you know, and then it all led to the, the decrease in bullying and all that stuff. But I thought it was, you know, it was a very well done uh, message. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, thank you for that, man. It's, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was a a small cast and, uh, it was a small budget. I didn't have a million dollars to make Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so I did the best with what I had and what I could do and the resources I had with the money that I had. But, um, you know, every movie that I make or produce, I wanted to have a message. I want to give the hopeless hope and I want to, turn people's uh, way of thinking around, possibly, potentially, and, you know, maybe have them think something terrible and, and maybe turn it into something good. Yeah, no, I think that's it's a very strong message. So what what was the producing side of it like for you? 
it was challenging, you know. I had to know how to. Uh, it was hella challenging. I, I had I had a lot of stuff that I had to do. I had to. Uh, man, I had to you know set up the uh, the camera equipment. Um, I had to you know set up the location, make sure everyone shows up on time. I had to you know connect people together. I had to find out. I had to hope and and pray that the money was being spent right. Mm-hmm. Um, just all kinds of things. It was. It was one hell of a headache, bro. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that. All right, so that's uh, I, that's all I got for you. Uh, so people, you can go to uh, Amazon Prime has Ditch Party, and everybody should have Amazon Prime at this point if they don't. I don't see why they. Yeah, wouldn't. it's uh, Amazon Prime. It just came out about three weeks ago. Um, it's called Ditch Party. You know, I'd encourage everybody and their mom to go watch it yeah. and you know, get behind the bullying uh, cause or the anti-bullying cause and stuff. And, um, you know, maybe we could... Because sometimes it's funny, too. Like, it takes a tragedy to all of a sudden bring people together and wake people yeah. up. Yeah. And if we could prevent it before the tragedy, we could wake people up before that, that we don't have to have such a sad moment for everybody to realize, damn, this shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Maybe we could have prevented it by not happening, period, by taking a preventive... Uh, measurements beforehand you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i just let people know man like i'm trying to do my part <laughs> if they could help and contribute and uh you know jump alongside board with me that would be cool and you know maybe who knows maybe you could maybe you could save your own kid's life you know what i mean yeah definitely and uh people can follow you on instagram actor noel g and that on and, Inst- actor, yeah. yep. and then on twitter as well twitter as well and um Explain as you would a child. Well, yeah, I I remember him most from Training Day, and I, I have to say, like even watching from behind screen, he was very intimidating in that movie. He played his role or his role excellent. Yeah, no, exactly, and and like you could hear from the interview, you know, he's like been through experiences, you know, like some of the stuff that he portrays in the movie. So it's it's interesting, to, you know, you can bring that experience on screen a lot better than somebody who hasn't been through some of that stuff. So yeah, no, Very it, it cool. was, yeah, I was really uh, happy. I was able to call in. I've been a fan for quite a long time. So Pat, uh, let's get to something with you. What uh, what did you want to talk about here? I got two things. I guess we could start with booze news first. Okay. I got uh, booze news. So this isn't actual news, uh, but it, it is a topic that's come up. I think we've kind of touched on it on the show before. Uh, what's your take with selling beer? at movie theaters that seems to be the up-and-coming trend that is the up-and-coming yeah the the theaters that are more like laid back the ones that are like upgrading themselves they'll have like pizza they'll have like more food you can actually eat and they'll have alcohol um you think that's a good marketing strategy to try and get people to come to the movies yeah i mean i I, there's certain people that are always looking for excuses to drink i mean you know those people in you know, maybe college or maybe late high school and stuff like that that would always be like, oh, how do we sneak a flask into somewhere? How do we do stuff like that? I think there's... Late high school, Jared, they can't buy beer. (laughs) Okay. You know what I'm talking about. There's always those people that are always trying to sneak in alcohol somewhere. So The college thing makes sense. Maybe we should ask uh, Fred Expert Vaughn what he thinks about uh, going to the movies and having a few brewskis. Yeah, that'd be good. (laughs) We'll ask Vaughn. I don't think I'm going to call him right now. I don't think he'd be up. But... No, I think it's I so I think it it doesn't hurt. I mean like to me when I'm going to the movies, I'm good with just like the popcorn. I don't really need like the full meal. Not usually going to grab a beer, you know, that kind of thing. Um 
but I don't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah, I'm not really into it to be honest with you, because I mean, how much is a, a bag of popcorn now? Yeah, they upcharge a lot. Of, you're right; it's it's expensive. So, how much do you think a beer is? It's probably like ten dollars at a movie. Theater. Yeah, probably pretty similar to like stadium prices. Now, I'm not gonna lie; I was in Florida and I was 21 years old, and that was the first time I ever seen beer at a movie theater, and I got one. So, what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. Like for the younger crowd. Yeah. But now, where beer is just like. It's just like a regular part of life now. Like you have a beer here and there. I'm not going to spend like $10 at a movie theater to get up and take a piss. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think they're just trying to make it a more like full experience. You know, like for the last couple of years, people have been going less and less to the movie theaters because, you know, the, the home experience is so much better. You got these ultra HD televisions and people have surround sound. Not or, even the home experience. There's the people who are doing it illegally. Yes. From their computers. Yeah, they can do it that for free. But but even like, you know, the whole reason you used to go to theaters was, I guess, if you wanted to see a movie right away, but also for like, that's the only way you can see it in like a big screen and get the full sound. And like, if you really wanted to like experience it, but like now, you know, because people are getting, they have like such nice things at home. And a lot of times the, there's a decreased uh, time between when things are in theaters and then when they get released on demand, that window keeps shrinking. So the theaters are really hurting. A lot more than they used to be so they're just trying to do anything to try to get more people in the seats you think the movies are hurting from that too though aren't uh, the bo- box office sales are like the aren't they like one of the main parts of the budget yeah the- but but as as box office numbers decline uh you get a higher rate of people watching it on you know on you know on demand but there is a huge correlation between how many, like how successful something is in the theaters and how successful it is on on demand. So, mm. like like even if something is in the theaters just for a couple of days, then it gets a different spot in the video on demand than it does if it's just, you know, just goes straight to video on demand. Like you get higher priority. So you still want things to do well in the theaters. But also, here's the last thing with that: theaters also take a higher percentage of your the income that you make from the movie so like a lot of times with theaters the theater distributors take 50 percent of the money from the theater whereas like maybe if you're going on demand they might only take 20 percent of all the money you make so you don't even have to sell as much in on demand and you can make more money i see that makes sense yeah but you still want the theaters yeah you know and it's like there's movies that are like comedies and horror movies are way better in the theater Agreed. The the, uh, the sound effects and, the, like you said, the big screen probably play a huge role, especially in the horror flicks. Um, so two things that I kind of skipped over uh, for Texas that I realized. Uh, one was they have this this uh, gas station there that is like the big thing in Texas, and it's called Bucky's. Have you ever heard of Bucky's? It's not the Bucky's that's around like the Chicagoland area. It's a, specifically a Texas thing. No. Okay, so basically it's like a... I think of Bucky, I think of Madison. Yeah, I think of that too, like Madison, Wisconsin, the Bucky, yeah. But, so this this is like a gas station on steroids. Like, it's got 100 pumps, and this is like one of the smaller ones. It has 100 pumps, and the weird thing is that, they that, don't... That's, that's not what I'm about. I'm about the low-key. Yeah, this is, not, this is not for your low-key gas stations that you love to find around town. This is like intense 100 pumps, and they don't allow semi-trucks, which is interesting. You have to just be in a normal, you know, car or truck, but you can't be in a semi truck. And so then you go inside and it is like the size of like your normal grocery store size and like, you know, big. And they've got 
food there. They've got like, you know, they've got like barbecue sauces. They've got uh, fried pecans. They've got, uh, you know, every type of drink, beef jerky, and they have all these fresh sandwiches. And it's it's literally like almost like a grocery store, but with a gas station feel to it. Super fancy bathrooms, and then you know, a hundred pumps outside. But they have multiple of these all over Texas, and it's just a very interesting uh, way to do a gas station. Sounds like it. Uh, okay, and then the last yeah. thing here with the Texas trip, uh, there was a cosplay convention going on. Ooh. So I was I was not super familiar with cosplay. The first time I'd ever experienced it was a year ago at Starved Rock, the Illinois uh, uh, forest you know forest preserve place. And so they had cosplay in the forest. So what happened? I was just walking around, and there was this girl dressed like you know like a anime samurai, and somebody was just taking pictures of her, and I was so confused. Are you sure that's not how she just dressed? It might have just been how she's dressed, but it, because somebody was like there taking, it was like a photo, sh- photo shoot. I felt like it was cosplay stuff, but you know I'm not super familiar with it. It's it's definitely not my style. Like it's not something that I would be interested in doing. But I you know I can definitely see that there's some people that enjoy it a lot. It was very interesting to walk around in the group of people. Here, I know someone who goes to uh, or who actually dresses up for cosplay conventions. Yeah. And how do they? She gets paid to do it. Oh, she gets paid to do it. The money truck, yeah. baby. I might be interested if somebody was going to pay me. I would too. Yeah. Well, what would you it's be, like, Pat? It's like getting paid to participate in Halloween. Yeah, it is. So, what would you be? Well, cosplay. Hmm. I noticed. I don't know. Like, like you said, you have to be like something that's like usually animated. Yeah, it, it, it's not usually like, like you know, like I pulled off the Abe Lincoln a few times for. For Halloween, yeah, and that's not they, really. They cosplay. would not. They would not like that. Yeah, it's got to be like more a fictional type thing. Uh, that's tough. I don't really watch too many cartoons. I mean, we, I don't know cosplay. I kind of think like super like bizarre sometimes, but maybe that's just thinking over the top. What if you were like, uh, like a Family Guy character? Isn't that kind of considered cosplay? I think that could be. I mean. Yeah, it's I, just kind of boring. There, I feel like there'd be some people that would appreciate it, some people that would be like, whatever. You know, I saw like yeah. somebody from a Walking Dead episode, which uh, Negan from Walking Dead, and also Noel was on an episode of Walking Dead. I didn't ask for this. So, fun fact. So it doesn't even have to really be like animated. It just kind of has to be like a fictional, a fictional character. character. Yeah. So Noel could just go as himself. If somebody can go as Negan from Walking Dead, Noel, who is in Walking Dead, can just go as himself to the convention. Oh no. There you go. There you go. Uh, so this is what I was thinking, Pat. Have you ever seen Eric Andre show, the Eric Andre show? I've heard of it. Okay. I haven't watched it. So that's what Bird Up comes from. Bird Up. Hello. Uh, so there's one, there's one episode in that where he dresses in, as an octopus, and then for all the tentacles around him, he has uh, like you know six or eight little people. Uh, walking like as the tentacles walking around him. Oh, it's wow. very it's very interesting. <laughs> I'll post the link uh, in the description of this episode. But I feel like that would be so. Wait, the, are, are they actually like all connected? I mean, yeah, they're all connected by like as you know, the, their head is like through this little part of the costume, and then like the tail, the, like the tentacle part of it, kind of runs down their back and then attaches to Eric Andre, who's in the middle. Is that really necessary? What for? What do you need? Like then, so it's like nine people in one. Costume. Yeah, yeah. It might it might only be like a six tentacle thing, but yeah, it's it's no, it's absurd. That's the whole point, Pat. That's why it's a comedy show. If it was just like him walking around with an octopus suit, that wouldn't be as funny. That's this is the funny part. That's what makes comedy. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want to do a a a 
Jeff Goldblum movie review? I'm dying for it. Hi, hi, hi. I'm Jeff Goldblum. You, you interest me strangely. You have uh, you've uh, uh, tapped into some kind of secret vein. Why would you do that to Goldblum? <laughs> What's Goldblum ever done to you? What's Goldblum ever done to you? Forget the fat lady. You're obsessed with the fat lady. Because she's sweet and like a peach and like a juicy and sweet. You, you're afraid to be too Goldblum. He oh. thinks if he smells Goldblum, he's going to be Goldblum. By jamming them into his pocket. I'm going to get my Goldblum on. That is one big pile of shit. Goldblum is content. Uh, people always ask me how I pronounce my name, Goldblum or Goldblum. Uh, I always tell them the same thing. How dare you speak to me? Pat, 2015's Mordecai. You ever seen Mordecai? Recent, no. No. Uh, this, I had seen the cover a few times, just watched it recently. So this is directed by David Kep, And he directed Secret Window, which also had Johnny Depp. This is starring Johnny Depp, I should clarify that. He was the writer of a bunch of big things like Mission Impossible, Jurassic Park, some other things like that. Um, so he, this is starring Johnny Depp. He plays Mordecai. Gwyneth Paltrow plays his wife. Nice. Yeah. Paul Bettany is in this as well, and he plays Johnny Depp's bodyguard. He was in Inkheart, which Brendan Fraser was in. Fun fact. Olivia Munn, Aaron Rodgers' ex, was in this. <laughs> and Mr. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. I still love the jokes over that. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Jeff Goldblum. With Jeff Goldblum. So. Of course. Yes. So basically, this is about uh, Johnny Depp. Oh, and also uh, uh, Ewan McGregor is also in this. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. So basically. Uh, Ewan McGregor hires Johnny Depp to try to find this piece of art called the Goya that apparently contains bank information from a Nazi soldier that was really rich that he wrote on the back of this painting. And then he hid this painting and nobody could find it. And it got rid of, you know, all traces of it. So the whole thing is that Johnny Depp is like a big art collector and he's supposed to track down this, you know, this Goya that has this information for this bank account, the Swiss bank account that's apparently been around since the 40s that still is just containing all this millions of dollars. Sounds like a really tough role for him. Yeah, so MI5 is uh, is helping, is you know, is the one that hired him, that's uh, Ewan McGregor. So the story here, uh, so basically here's, here's the movie. Johnny Depp's character is very, like, goofy, very, like, animated, very larger than life, not a very realistic character, I would say. Gwyneth Paltrow won't uh, kiss him or really even talk to him because he has a mustache. Are you a oh. mustache? Are okay. You, are you a mustache guy, Pat? No, not really. Are you? I mean, the only time I've ever had a mustache was when I went as the main guy from Narcos uh, for Halloween. I had a stash going from the time I was 13 to 14 because my parents wouldn't let me shave. <laughs> Why wouldn't they let you shave? I have no idea, but they wouldn't let me do it. Went to Catholic <laughs> high school. You had to do it every day. <laughs> Wait, so uh, do you have any pictures of you when you were 13 or 14? Sure do. Yeah, I'd like to see some mustache pictures, Pat. Okay, I'll be I'll be sure to send you one of those. <laughs> okay. I know there's there's one of me wearing a a, a Santa Christmas hat that it stands <laughs> out pretty well. Santa's not much of a mustache guy. He's a beard guy. He's a beard guy. Yeah. So anyway, no, I feel like stash is uncomfortable. The stash is uncomfortable. I, it takes it takes a big man to pull off a stash. I feel like I I have no I like stashes, but I just don't think I can pull it off. Like it definitely, there's certain people that it looks like good on. Like it's definitely the preferred choice. It's like a manly man thing. It is a manly man thing. It's like, 
I don't know. If you pull off a mustache, like it's kind of badass. There's no feminine men that have mustaches. This is true. Yeah, I would agree with that. So uh, this movie, yeah, it's a little over the top. There's a lot of jokes in it. I don't really think they land very well. Uh, the the overall concept is fine. You know, the acting is good. It's I just uh, I just didn't love the overall kind of way that the, it's laid out and kind of played out. Um, it's a newer one, so you know the production value was good. It was a high it was a high budget movie, and it had you know a lot of names in it and faces that I recognized. Jeff Goldblum was good in it. He was very funny. But I would say that overall, this is a Randy Quaid on the Independence Day movie review scale. I'm fly. I'm pilot. Uh, oh, wow. Lower tier. Yes. Um, and then I did my little research after on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was 16%, I believe. So Yikes. I was not the only one that felt that way. Sometimes I double check myself. I'm like, did I think this was good and everybody thought it was bad? Or did I think this was bad and everybody else thought it was good? And people seem to agree with me quite a bit. But, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has always been pretty brutal. But I mean, it is it is kind of brutal, bad. and it's not the best indicator. I would I would never go see a movie or not see a movie just because of a Rotten Tomatoes score. But it is just sometimes interesting to compare your thoughts with something else, you know. All right, Pat, you got uh, anything else here? Yeah, let's post some bitch what. I said bitch. Bitch what? Bitch, 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 he said, bitch. Yeah. I can't remember if we ever really talked about this or not, but it's something that I think about almost on a daily basis, to be honest with you. What's with people? It, okay. What's with, like, just your average Joe addressing an entire city or an entire country when they're about to go there? Yeah. So, like, you're saying, like, somebody going to uh, Texas and saying, watch out, Texas, here I come. <laughs> It's it's not as lame as that. It's <laughs> it's like a, it's like a you know it's a, all of a sudden Nashville is like the destination. Like everybody has to go there all the time. And my favorite thing is like, I don't know if you're ready, but here we come, Nashville. You know. Yeah. It's like here's my thing. Nobody from Nashville knows who you are. Yep, that's true. Okay, so yep. nobody from Nashville can see that. Yep. Two, it's like another thing if like you're a musician or. You're, so, you're somebody who's well known, you yes. know, because then like people actually follow you. Yeah. They might actually get excited that you're coming. I just think it's very pompous and self-important if nobody knows who you are and you decide to address like an entire city, even where you're from home. Like, well, it's been real, Florida, but Chicago, <laughs> I missed you. I know you're ready for me to come home. Like nobody's fucking ready for you to come home. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So okay, so if somebody was just moving back, you'd rather them just like, just be quiet about it. I guess I think sometimes people are saying this. I don't disagree with you, but I'm just no, wondering. No, 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 if... not not even not even be quiet yeah. about it. Just stop addressing like millions of people who don't know who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a generalization. Yeah, and and when you're talking to a, a city in general, like nobody in that city is actually gets that message. It's even worse when it's a country. How about this as a solution? You just reach out to the mayor of that town. So if, like, I'm going, hey, I'm, you know, watch out, Rahm Emanuel, I'm coming for you. Like, so you, you just, aggra- you just <laughs> address might, the mayor might, of the city. You might take that the wrong way. <laughs> You're right. I guess it does sound a little threatening. When you say it as a city, it sounds a lot <laughs> It sounds a lot more easygoing. But when you say it as a specific name, you just have to be careful with your wording. But I feel like if you say it a specific person, at least that is uh, specific. 
And somebody then somebody has to do the research too if they don't know the you know. You know, I, people say my favorite phrase of all time, like Vegas, we're coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> let it go, man. Just yeah. be like off to Las Vegas. Off to Las Vegas. You like that better. Is that Get it right, bitch what? I'm a bitch, I'm a Shut up, bitch. Okay, so how about some Tanzania news? The infection causes immediate respiratory failure, and scientists claim that these patients are now transmitting. What are you from Tanzania? Yes, I am. Child victims of witchcraft attacks in Tanzania get new limbs. Get new limbs? Yeah. Like arms and legs? Yeah, those are what limbs are. Not like tree limbs. <laughs> <laughs> Valid point. Yeah. Uh, what do I think about it? Why Why are they missing? So here's the deal. We've actually talked about this briefly in a, in a past episode where uh, people that are albino in Tanzania, uh, they uh, people some of the people in Tanzania, obviously not all the people, but some of the people in Tanzania uh, use – pieces of they like albino people that are born albino will get killed and you like their stuff will be used for witchcraft so wait at birth oh no they'll be killed like later on usually not at birth but sometimes later on once they're older that's why we once it's clear they're albino yeah yeah well i think it's probably pretty clear early on but uh maybe just i don't know i i don't want to yeah i don't i don't know what they're doing i haven't i haven't i guess i haven't you know talked to any of these people that are actually doing these uh removing of limbs and stuff like that so i don't know why they do what they do but we talked about this on a previous one where there was an island in tanzania where all these uh people who are albino born in tanzania can live and live safely it's kind of like you know uh, a rescue shelter type place that's protected by water um so treasure island like a treasure island that's a good way of looking at it pat so four of these kids uh received prosthetics uh in the u.s so this was a free thing done by the shiners do you know the shiners they're in a bunch of uh it, it, I it, can't say I've heard of shiners the shiners. Are a, if you if you ever go to like a Fourth of July parade, you'll see a lot of like old guys wearing Middle Eastern garb. Like sometimes they'll be driving around a little go karts that are shaped like uh, magic carpets or small little okay. airplanes or stuff like that. So what they did is they paid for this in Tanzania. It affects one in fourteen hundred people. So that's a really high rate of people, you know, albino people in Tanzania. I'm not. I'm not a mathematician. Yeah. Move on. I mean, it's it's less than it's less than one percent, but it's it's still way higher than they say. Even in Africa, it can be one to fifteen thousand, which is still higher than a normal rate. But in Tanzania, one in fourteen hundred. So this is a this is a high. Even if thing. it's one in a million, it's still yeah. not a good thing. So they said estimates. United Nations estimates that seventy-five albinos were killed in Tanzania between two thousand and two thousand fifteen. So and most wow. of these are happening in secretive ritual in rural areas. So like. Anyway, this U.S. found some of these kids that had been injured, you know, by this thing and then flew them to the U.S. for free and then gave them new limbs, whatever they needed. Like, you know, they replaced teeth. They gave them new arms, new legs, that kind of stuff. And then, unfortunately, they couldn't, you know, the, the kids had to go back to Tanzania, but at least they were able to, and, you know, they were able to live much more fulfilled lives having all their limbs and stuff like that available. I think this is, like, the best kind of charity that somebody can do. Well, I'm just saying, like, opposed to, like, just giving money to something, like, you know, these guys are doctors that are doing this. They have, I'm sure they have plenty of money that they could just donate 
you know, a bunch of money to some organization that's doing stuff in Tanzania. But when you have these guys that are able to volunteer their time and, you know, fly somebody over and then you can really see the effect of something like that. I think this is like really, really cool stuff. Actually putting something into action rather than just passing your money along and trusting in someone else to do it. Yeah. And I see it the most in doctors. Like I see a lot of times plastic surgeons will do like cleft palates and stuff like that in uh, countries that, you know, like have issues. Yeah. We talked about that at a, Another yeah, episode, we have. We? we have. Yeah, there's been guy. Uh, there was a guy just doing medical uh, work in Tanzania, but he was just doing like straight medical work because they didn't have. They like he said like the technology for most of the hospitals was like 40 years old, so he was just doing normal medical work. But this guy, you know, these people are getting flown back and just the prosthetics and stuff like that. It's crazy, um, you know, just how advanced the technology is with with arms and limbs and stuff like that. When you look at what was the classic like pirate thing when they lose an arm, you know. Just a hook. R. R. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you catch the NBA Finals? I did catch the NBA Finals. I was in an elevator when the game ended. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of strange. I've never seen, <laughs> never seen a national championship won in an elevator. So that was... Oh, you were watching it on your phone? No, it was on a TV in an elevator. You? Oh, there was a T. Oh, wow. What fancy place are you at? With <laughs> like a as, TV as on time was winding down, I was in an elevator. First Did you class. just stay in there a few more minutes just to watch the end of it? You know what? I actually had to walk out when there was like ten seconds left. Okay, so you didn't actually see the end of it. I kind of knew the Cavs won. Everyone knew in right? the last ten seconds. Everyone knew when there was like five minutes left, it was over. Yes, I agree. Yeah, not the most interesting of series. Uh, you know, it, it the the overall playoffs in general for the NBA were were pretty predictable and pretty boring for the most part. You gotta get some decent cheers in here, man. What's this shit made out of, anyway? Uh, steel? Yeah? Yeah. Well, you should get it welded better in the corners. If you take a deep breath after you say something, have you noticed that you can make it sound a lot more important? (laughs) Like, if you just say, uh, do you know what I just realized? (gasps) You're, like, wondering what it is. It has a dramatic effect. It has a much more dramatic effect. Even if you have something that's much more... You know, it's not even that great to say. You're going to get that person a lot more engaged just for a few seconds because sometimes people doze off. Like, say you're you're sitting in a, you know, like in a family room and you've got a couple of your friends there. They're texting on their phones. And then you're just like, hey, guys, you know what we should do tonight? <gasps> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay, Pat, uh, I think we will wrap up the show there. People, email the show, chubstep.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Listen on Google Play Music, chubstep.com, iTunes, of course, and... Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Yeah, good call, Pat. Tell a friend. And follow Pat Callahan on Instagram, badpiece33. And then also follow this Pat Callahan on Instagram, patcallahan44. And the show is ended. How do you even know that's his name? And the show has ended. Y'all finished or y'all done? Now you know you got to go. Peace. This is Yasin.